Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Press Coverage. This is your host, Cameron Clark, and on today's episode, I was joined by Brandon Ogden to preview some new college football news now that the Big Ten is coming back and give you some picks for the end of the season for our college football playoffs. And we give you a surprising dose of picks for the Heisman Trophy, as well as some baseball news ahead of the re- the MLB playoffs that are coming up. Uh, and we finish it off there. So I hope you enjoy. Brandon, it's a little weird. Right now, we're sitting here. It's September 16th. And next Sunday, the MLB season ends. And it feels weird, not because of the time of the year. I mean... This is the time of the year playoffs for baseball are supposed to start. It just doesn't feel like that for some reason. Uh, I was looking, I was watching the Yankees game earlier today and I looked at their schedule and I was like, oh crap, like this time next week, they're starting their last series of the regular season. And (laughs) I just thought it was so weird. So right now, looking at the standings for the postseason, it's pretty close, honestly, at the top of the NL and the bottom of the NL. And really, the entire American League is pretty close. And it looks like the field for the American League is pretty well set. I can't really see Seattle or Detroit climbing back in to catch Cleveland or Toronto. Um, But the way it looks right now, I'll just do the top three. I'm not going to read off 16 teams. But the top three in the American League as of right now, the Chicago White Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Oakland A's. And in the National League, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers, your Chicago Cubs, and the Atlanta Braves. One thing that I do feel pretty good about is I think both of us correctly predicted the entire American League field. Now, the order is a little off, but I think we correctly predicted the entire field. Can't necessarily say the same for the National League with the Marlins and the Giants as of right now holding the eighth and final playoff spot. Um, So just... I'm curious, like, what's your first reaction when you look at the playoff field, the order of it, teams that shouldn't be there, teams that should be higher or lower? What's kind of your first reaction? Yeah, I think the first reaction is seeing the Marlins and the Giants uh, is just kind of crazy. Not something I would have ever guessed. I would have probably put pretty good money that outside of the Orioles, those would have been the three worst teams in baseball. Um, So, yeah, you know. Uh, something for have playing a 60 game schedule. Um, as far as the outside, it's pretty pretty shocking to see like the Brewers um, not in the playoffs with that roster that they have. Um, I would have thought that they would have um, been a playoff team. For me, I think the most shocking thing is you look on one side in the National League, everybody in the world picked the Dodgers to win the most games in baseball this year. But on the other side, you have a team that was really, it seemed like it was built on offense and it, and it has been, but it also has three starting pitchers and an up and coming fourth in Dane Dunning that all have sub three and a half ERAs and the Chicago White Sox look really, really strong. Um, And I, and I had them as the third or the final team making it in the third team out of the AL Central. uh, And they have just looked very, very good. Uh, I think, as I say that, they're losing right now. (laughs) Um, But one of the things that I wanted to touch on is between the the White Sox, between the the Twins and the eighth-place Indians, who do you think is the best team in that very cluttered American League Central? 
So I think it depends on what what like the situation is. Like if you're going just regular season, I'm fine with saying it's the White Sox. Listen, they've proved it. They're in first. Like I, I'm fine with that. If you're talking about built for like the postseason, I almost lean the Indians just because of their pitching staff. Like it is such a good pitching staff. I know the offense is not good. The offense is mm-hmm. awful. Okay. But when you can pitch Shane Beaver, when you can pitch Carlos Carrasco, Zach, please, like those are really, really good pitchers um, that are going to give you a chance. Their bullpen's been pretty good this year. If they can just get a couple timely hits out of, uh, you know, Carlos Santana, Jose uh, Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, like if they can just get some type of offense, they're a really mm-hmm. tough team um, to go against for like a, especially like a three game series. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I think on paper heading into the season, we both had the Minnesota Twins, correct? I did. As winning that division. Yeah, same. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting that when you look at it now, they're not in first place in the division. They don't have the best offense, and they don't have the best pitching. <laughs> but right. for some reason, still think it's them. I think there's something about the, the guys that are in that lineup, Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson's back. He missed about three and a half weeks with an injury. Uh, they, you know, Polanco, Kepler, uh, Eddie Rosario. I mean, they have guys that hit all the way up and down that lineup. And Kenta Maeda has been a really good addition to them in that uh, Mookie Betts trade. Uh, and Randy Dobnax uh, got six wins on the year. I, I think that if, if they were in a series with the White Sox, a five-game series, or in a series with the Twins, I would take the, or in a series with the Indians, I would take the Twins in those series. Uh, But I don't feel like it's super confident for some reason. Um, I just think the Twins, they're kind of, it's kind of by it. Like, you know, recency bias. Like, they're the fool me once, like, shame on you type team. Because it feels like every playoffs, they're down in the first round. And they're kind of a disappointment. Um, Mm -hmm. Granted, they're not going to play the Yankees probably in the first round. So that'll probably help them from a mental standpoint. Um, but the second thing is, like, I just still don't know about that pitching staff. Barrios hasn't been, like, very good this year. Like, I mean, he's been fine. Um, Maeda's great, but Maeda, you know, doesn't have the strongest postseason record. Um, so, you know, are you counting on Rich Hill? Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's probably going to have a sneeze and throw out his back tomorrow. Like, <laughs> I, I just worry about the Twins pitching, um, especially – you know, it just feels like over the last few years, pitching has really been the difference in, you know, becoming a World Series champion or not. And if you don't have good starting pitching, especially, you mm-hmm. just it's really hard to win. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's fair. There's just it's something about their their lineup. Like I know that the White Sox lineup has has been more proficient, more. Um, all world more home runs even yeah yeah they've been the best lineup really in baseball uh but there's something about the guys the names that are in the in the twins lineup that give me a lot of security from uh, even a guy like Miguel Sano uh, who's only hitting 225 but we know he can hit the cover off the ball Uh, Marwin Gonzalez like something about these names in their lineup uh just gives me a little bit of security uh, and picking them as the best team in this division, but it's close. Like, I think all three of these teams are really good, and I think they're going to remain good for several years to come. Um, yeah, I, 
I also just worry about the White Sox from a youth standpoint. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. I, and I think how young their pitching is from uh, Giolito, Lopez. I mean, I talked about Dane Dunning, who's a rookie. I mean, they have really, really, I mean, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, they have really young pitchers. Um, and who, who knows? I mean, it might help them that there's no crowd if they have to go on the road um, at any point. Um, but I don't think that I, – I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the moment affects those young pitchers and, and what will be for most of them their first playoff appearances. Um, I also wanted to talk about my New York Yankees. Uh, they started off really strong. They had the second-best record in baseball through 22 games. They started out 16-6. and six. They hit a very tough road after that. Fifteen or five and fourteen. Uh, I wish it was fifteen and five, um, but they went five and fourteen, uh, and then they have since rebounded and now have won seven straight games following that bad losing streak. Uh, and the guy that's kind of kept them afloat through the Aaron Judge injury, through the DJ LeMahieu, Stanton, uh, Britton, James Paxton, who is still out. Um, the guy who has kept them afloat has been who is now the leader in baseball and home runs, Luke Voigt. So, Brandon, I have a question for you. Is Luke Voigt the most Brian Cashman gem ever? So, I initially was going to say yes, but they did trade uh, Giovanni Gallegos, who's a really, really good reliever for the uh, Cardinals. So, uh-huh. I would lean towards uh, Didi uh, Gorius, I can't talk, uh-huh. as his best fight, like gem. Because that one, they just traded Chin Green, who had like half a good season. There, there is a, a second nominee who and, I had. Hold on, one more point. And Didi took over for Derek Jeter, which was like a much harder thing to do. Where Luke Voigt, it was kind of like, yeah, just come in with your shirt unbuttoned and hit a couple home runs for us. <laughs> um, the, so I want to real quickly read off his numbers this year because it's remarkable. And he hit another home run tonight. Um, so he's up to 19 home runs, 45 RBIs. He's slugging over 650. He's, OPS is almost 1,000. His on-base percentage is close to 350. I mean, the guy is just locked in and hitting the ball very far. Um, but I do have one gem that I still want to put above him, and that's Gio Urshela, his guy across yeah. the diamond. Because yeah. Brian Cashman found Gio Urshela on a minor league uh, training camp or spring training invite uh, last year from the Blue Jays in the division and brought him over for the league minimum and found one of what is now the best defensive third baseman in baseball and the guy can hit. Uh, But I would definitely say it's up there in terms of he traded traded Chase and Shreve who has never really amounted to anything with the Yankees, the Mets, or the Cardinals. Um, and obviously Giovanni Gallegos, who at the time was really just kind of a guy who came in and ate innings in a blowout. Um, mm-hmm. And he has developed into a really good pitcher for the Cardinals. But my guy would actually be Gio Urshela. Um, it's a good one. And then I also wanted to touch on, you mentioned them earlier when we kind of looked at the standings, the Miami Marlins. So the Miami Marlins, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we previewed the trade deadline, which it's weird that we're already talking about the playoffs, even though the trade deadline just happened two weeks ago, but that's 2020, I guess. But they, we questioned 
looking ahead about five five days out from the trade deadline, whether we thought that the Marlins were going to be buyers, whether they were going to stand pat with kind of a young roster, or whether they were going to sell. And they ended up trading Jonathan VR, who apparently they did that not to tank or to sell to be sellers. They did it to be able to acquire, turn around and acquire a guy like Starling Marte, who kind of comes in and I think becomes probably their most talented player that they have. Do you think the Marlins are legit or is this just like a weird thing that happened because this is a 60 game season? It's a 60 game season. Uh, so I don't buy them as like a legit contender. Uh, there are, you know, right around average 14 or 15 uh, for batting average this year. Um, as far as team ERA, they're 18th. They're like 25th when it comes to hitting home runs. Like, they've just kind of had, you know, some good fortune. Um, so, like, I think that it's a good story. Um, they have some really good, you know, pitching prospects. Um, really, their starting pitching has been pretty decent this year. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a nice story. I think they'll make the playoffs. Um, I just – I don't see them winning a series. I really don't. Yeah, and especially because right now, before the end of today's games take place, um, they're currently slated as the fifth seed, and they would draw the unfortunate ire of having to play the San Diego Padres in the first round. And for any of those teams that finish in that five spot, because the Padres are going to finish in the four spot, because they're going to finish with less wins than the Dodgers, but they're not going to be able to, you know, finish in the two or three spot. Um for any team that finishes in that fifth spot, I think that is the worst draw that you're going to get in the National League, <laughs> uh, without a Besides doubt. Besides playing the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, aside from playing being the eighth seed, which uh, nobody would want to be at this point. But uh, that kind of brings me to my last question that I wanted to talk about. And I know the Dodgers beat the Padres today, but they've had their number the last couple of days and played really good baseball against the Dodgers. Do you think – based on what the Padres have done over the trade deadline, they brought in 10 new guys. It was actually a record for one trade deadline. The most new players brought in from Austin Nola to most notably Mike Clevenger. Do you, do you think that the, the Padres have done enough in terms of what they've done on the field and their performance and how they've played against the Dodgers to make you feel better about them long-term and even this year than you do about the Dodgers? Uh, if you're going long-term, I, I, I like the outlook of the Padres a little bit more. But specifically for this year, I, I would still give the edge to the Dodgers. Um, and it really, to me, comes down to the Dodgers team ERA is under three, uh, mm-hmm. 2.98, which is just filthy. Like, that is so – like, it's hard to understate how good that is. Um, and the Padres, I mean, it's good. It's solid. It's 3.85, but it's almost a full, like, run – you know, mm-hmm. higher than the Dodgers. So the Dodgers rotation, and that's with Walker Bueller not pitching great and not pitching very much because he's had some blister issues. So um, yeah. I just think when it comes down to it, I trust the Dodgers staff more than I trust the Padres. And it, the Padres for me are weird because like I think one through five in their order, like you could make a case that's the best one through five in baseball. But like outside of those first like five hitters, yeah, like – they don't have like the most complete lineup where the Dodgers, it feels like one through nine is a tough, like they're tough out 
Mm-hmm. Like it feels like there are some easier outs in the Padres lineup. So then let me flip this and ask you because they were sort of praised unanimously around baseball for the Mike Clevenger trade because they acquired, as I said, all of these players. They sort of took every good player that the Mariners had to offer. They took four guys out of their bullpen. They took Austin Nola. Um, and then I mentioned Mike Clevenger. Um, and so between all these guys that they acquired, do you think that they have done enough to supplant them long term um, going forward the next three to five years? Do you feel better about the outlook of the team with Fernando Tatis or the team with Mookie Betts on a 13 year contract? Yeah, so it's tough. Um And the reason I say it's tough is I think like the Dodgers major league talent is better than the Padres, but Mm -hmm. what the Padres have coming in their farm system is so filthy from a starting rotation standpoint that you put them with Clevenger, you put them with Paddock, you put them with, um, uh, what the hell is his name? Who's already up there. I can't think of his name. Blinking on his name. Yes. Um, Uh, Daniel Lamette. Yeah, yeah. It's so nasty what they can run out one through five. Um, And listen, the Dodgers, too, the Dustin May, Walker Bueller, Kershaw still being really, really good this year. Like, David Price is coming back next year. Like, they have a really good rotation, too. Um, It's just – it's crazy. I think these two could be the best two teams in baseball the next three years, and they play Mm -hmm. in the same division. So, it's just kind of unfortunate. So, I – I think over the next three years, I would lean Dodgers, but three plus years, I, I would give a pretty decent sized edge to the Padres. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The, I think one thing that um, I was going to say about the fact that these trades took place, they acquired all the guys and they were sort of unanimously praised for how they didn't have to deplete their farm system to get a guy like Mike Clevenger to improve their bullpen and get guys like Tim Hill and Trevor Rosenthal from the Royals to get Danny Altavilla and Jason Castro and um, Austin Nola and all these other, Mitch Moreland, another big bat to put in their lineup, who who was playing really well for the the Red Sox before that trade. Um, And they didn't have to give up a whole lot of that ammo, as you're talking about, a Mackenzie Gore, um, the the Morgans, and um, some of the other guys that are in their farm system. And Brandon, I'm also pleased to announce on this episode of Press Coverage that today, September 26th, it was like Christmas came early for Iowa Hawkeyes fans. Michigan It's the State 16th. Cardinals. It's the 16th. Oh, what did I say? Not the 26th. You said the 26th. Oh, well, maybe something good will happen for you guys then too. But on <laughs> September 16th, it was a gift for all Ohio State Buckeyes around the world that the Big Ten announced that they were coming back with it will be with no fans at any game in the Big Ten, a nine-game schedule with a Champions Week uh, that will be featuring the one versus one in each division to decide the Big Ten champ, the two versus two, so on and so forth. And I don't think there's anybody that can't wait to watch the two last place teams in the Big Ten play each other in Champions Week. There's probably Hint. nothing better. Hint, <laughs> it'll probably be Illinois or Northwestern versus Rutgers. <laughs> um, but 
I, I just wanted to get your instant reaction about um, kind of like how this whole scenario was played out. We haven't really talked much college football because it's felt a little almost not real um, without some of the non-conference games that have been going on. There's not going to be any bowl games like we're used to seeing, I don't believe, unless something drastic happens. But we started at a point where it felt like the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC kind of underreacted. And then it felt like the Big 10 and the Pac-12 kind of overreacted, so to speak. Um, and there was like this very quick correction all of a sudden within the last four or five days that has led to this. And now it seems like in the coming days, the Pac-12 is also going to announce they're coming back. So altogether, what do you make of all this? It's hard. It's really hard. I don't envy the commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, or Pac-12 commissioner. Well, I would never want to be the Pac-12 commissioner because that might be probably the worst job in America. Um, but they were put in a really hard spot. The presidents voted. The presidents didn't want to move forward with the season. So like, it, there's not much they could do. Um, you know, they went off the best available data that they had at the time. Should they have just you know, said, we'll wait another month before we decide. Probably. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. They're going to play. Um, I'm really excited to see Iowa play. Um, you know, it's unfortunate we don't get to see Iowa-Iowa State this year. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's great to have Big Ten football back. Um, you know, I, I think everyone can agree they're, you know, it's either 1A or 1B um, with them in the SEC as far as um, mm -hmm. top to bottom, you know, talent. And so you want those teams there. Um, if they're able to make the playoffs, you want to see Justin Fields with Ohio State in the big Ten, or in the college football playoffs. So um, I think it's great. Um, so I, I will say, like, I have purposefully just kind of avoided all of the rumors, the different articles, who had a hand in what, just because it was like, I'll believe it when I see it. And I'll, more importantly, I'll watch it when it's on. Like, I, I don't care about the backstory of this. Like, just tell mm -hmm. me, is the product coming or is it not? Right, right. And uh, even more interestingly, it'll be curious to see if the if and when the Pac-12 also formally announces that they're coming back. Um, because I saw today that the uh, players at USC wrote a letter to Governor Gavin Newsom in California to ease the health restrictions enough so they could practice and play games. Um, and that seems like really the only thing as you know, about half the Pac-12 was in California um, from stopping. Did you, see his, did you see his response? No, what was it? He said, uh, we are not stopping you guys from playing college football. He said that is a conference decision, not a governor's decision. All right. Well, that seems like a good sign for the Pac-12. Um, I'm curious. Uh, so Sean Wade, who is projected to be a first-round pick, um, had just a, a week ago opted out of the um, spring football season for the Big 12 or the Big 10 uh, at Ohio State, saying that he wanted to go ahead and start preparing for the NFL draft. We've seen guys like um, Penny Sewell from Oregon um, and, and other big draft picks from these schools that are not playing uh, or at the time were not playing. Um, and he was on outside the lines talking about like, well, I have a lot to think about now. Like, I didn't know we were going to play in the fall. Um, so I'm curious to see if a lot of these guys uh, opt back in, so to speak, or if they end up playing like a Penny Sewell or a Sean Wade, or if they just remain out. Um, 
more importantly for a guy like Sean Wade, for a team like Ohio State that I think could win uh, the national championship this year, uh, if he's not there, that's a big loss for them as their number one corner and probably their second best defensive player. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But I, I wanted to start by also saying or asking you, who were you most impressed by this week? Um, and there, I guess there's been two weeks, so to speak, but really this past weekend was the opening weekend in major college football. Um, the ACC kicked off, uh, the Big 12 started, and then next weekend, the SEC starting uh, as well. And then a couple weeks after that, the Big, the Big 10 will be taking place too. So um, who were you most impressed by in the, in the first couple weeks? Well, let's just say the Big 12 started, but uh, quickly had engine failure. Um, <laughs> I, the, so I went back to week one as well. BYU was by far the most impressive team on opening weekend. Uh, they looked phenomenal. Um, but as far as last weekend, I went with Louisiana Lafayette. Um, mm. Going into Ames, um, playing a ranked Iowa State team that has a quarterback that's projected to be, you know, a top three-round pick. Um, and they, you know, they put it on them. And they even ran up the score late. Like, they were not scared of that team. Uh, they looked faster. They looked more athletic. Uh, it was quite a opening weekend for Louisiana Lafayette and a hilarious go. weekend for Iowa fans. <laughs> Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes won and they hadn't even officially gotten a schedule yet. <laughs> well, it's funny because that I'm pretty sure this was the weekend it was supposed to be Iowa, Iowa State. So <laughs> it's like they knew. <laughs> if we can't beat them, you know, someone else being able to Louisiana beat them Lafayette. works for us. Uh, my team. This is a little bit of a, a pick for you, uh, but my my pick for the most impressive team was actually North Carolina. Um, they started out, they didn't play the most impressive team athletically in Syracuse, but Syracuse wasn't bad last year, um, and North Carolina really had a good end to the season last year with first-year coach, now second-year coach, Mac Brown, um, and their returning quarterback, Sam Howell, uh, threw 25 of 35, almost 300 yards, threw for a touchdown, and they completely dominated Syracuse from the beginning of the game till the end, ended up winning by 25 points. Um, and it looks like they're going to really build off of an impressive 2019 to maybe contend in the ACC. And when I say contend, I mean finish second. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think they looked really strong, and I think they look like the second-best team so far, um, even more impressive than the – ACC team of Notre Dame that barely squeaked by Duke. <laughs> um, one other question that I had from this past weekend. Uh, so Oklahoma took on Missouri State, and it seems like a lot of people have kind of written off Oklahoma and the national uh, outlook of the season. And they've had a lot of guys leave, you know, Kyler Murray, um, Baker Mayfield, CD Lamb. CD Lamb um, and, and Jalen Hurts from last year. And now they're starting a, a new quarterback, Spencer Rattler, uh, Charleston Rambo's their number one receiver. And I know the competition wasn't great. They played Missouri State. Good for Missouri State still to get that paycheck because that probably makes their athletic budget. But anyways, they started out playing Missouri State. Spencer Rattler started 14 of 17 for four touchdowns. Did you feel or take away anything from that game that made you feel like Oklahoma could contend in the playoffs this year? Or 
you still need to wait and see what they do against the Texases of the world. Okay, was this game like a pay-per-view game or something? I think I read that it was like a pay-per-view game. So I didn't watch this game at all. They did something Maybe since you're... so that uh, Missouri State could make more money from it. Um, okay. I don't know. So maybe since you're in Missouri, you, you had it. I don't know. Because um, I don't think I could watch the game. So I didn't. Um, but I will say it, you can't take anything away from that game. You got to see them against Big 12 competition. Uh, but it is Oklahoma. They had the best coach in the conference. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't – I would not rule them out. And Spencer Rattler was, like, the number one recruit in the country, what, two years ago yep. or a year yep. ago? Um, so two years ago. They had, they, they had the talent. It was not a talent problem for Oklahoma. So I Especially also when we saw, what, we, saw, we saw what the Big 12 did opening weekend. Um, yep. It might not be the most impressive conference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of kind of less impressive things heading in, um, I wanted to get some ideas of some of the under-the-radar teams that you had in the Power Five conferences, whether it be from the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, um, Big Big 10, Pac-12. Who are some under-the-radar? And I'm assuming the Pac-10 will be playing this year. So who are some under-the-radar teams uh, that you have your eye on? Yeah, so let's start with the Big 10. And this is going to be dependent on one person and one person only. If Rondell Moore is able to opt back in because he had opted out, I really like Purdue. Um, They had a lot of expectations last year, but just so many injuries um, that they weren't able, you know, week in, week out to field a full team. Um, So I really like Purdue in the Big Ten as um, a sleeper. Do you want me just to keep going? Because I did one for each conference. Sure. So so if you have one from the same conference, just stop me and tell me – Tell I do not do one the Big Ten. Okay, Big 12. Uh, this is kind of a cop-out. I went with Texas. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. have kind of written off Texas. I actually really like them to win the Big 12, and I think they're a football yeah. uh, playoff team. I think they're called yep. football playoff team. Um, SEC, uh, I, I feel like Florida was the easy pick here. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the easy one. I think another team – that's going to give people problems is Mississippi State. I'm really excited to see uh, KJ Costello in that offense with Mike Leach. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm forgetting their running back's name, Hill. Um, Colin Hill. Yeah, I think he's a great fit for that offense as well. Um, So I really think that that Mississippi State team, they're going to run such a weird offense that like the SEC just doesn't see on a weekend, week out basis. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how it works um, in that conference. Um, and with that, I think, especially in year one, given a, we're in a pandemic, I think they could surprise some people. So in, in, the, in the conferences that I picked out some under the radar teams, uh, in the ACC, a team that I really liked was Louisville. Um, I love okay. their coach, Scott Satterfield, former Appalachian State guy. Um, and I like their quarterback a lot, Malik Cunningham. Um, they played pretty well at the end of last year in Scott Satterfield's first year. And I really like their, especially the fact that they only have to play ACC schools, I think only helps them. Um, whereas like, if you're looking at the big 10 and the, and the SEC, I think that's a, a bad thing that you're only playing the conference. Um, and then in the PAC 12, a team that I really like that's under the radar is Arizona state coached by Herm Edwards. Uh, and I really, really like their quarterback, Jaden Daniels. 
I know they lost their number one playmaker, Brandon Ayuk, but they still have some other good skill players there. But I really like the dual threat ability of Jaden Daniels out there in the Pac-12 in a conference that's kind of like asking for a team to be the best team in that conference. And then I'm with you. I really, really like Texas. And I don't know if that is topping out as like their rank, so they're not really <laughs> under the radar. Um, but we'll get to it later on and how high I think that their ceiling is this year. Um, but I really, really like Texas. Um, and I agree. I think Florida is going to be really, really good this year with Dan Mullen now in his third year uh, running the show. Um, but an under-the-radar team that I like that's not your Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia teams um, coming out of the SEC is Ole Miss. I like the the move to hire Lane Kiffin. I, I like John Reese Plumley. Now, what that means in the fact that they're going to have to play the SEC West and Florida to open the season in terms of wins, I'm not sure. But I think they could be uh, finish up as like the sixth best team in the SEC for what it's worth. Uh, I just think the top of the SEC is so solidified um, that it's hard for them to kind of break into that. But in that second tier, I really like Ole Miss uh, at coming out of there. So um, I also wanted to start by I got, move on. I got, I got one more real quick. Oh, yeah. I have an ACC team um, that I like, and it's uh, Pitt. They last year led the uh, NCAA in sacks, and they have, I think, pretty much all, if not all of those guys back. So I think they're going to have the best defensive line in college football. Um, so in a conference that's not great, um, mm -hmm. I really like Pitt to, you know, finish second or third in, in the ACC. Interesting. Um, I wanted to also touch on a little preseason pick. It's hard to predict because there's so many awards for college football and you know, from the Bolitnikov to the Ray Guy Award, we could sit here for hours and predict awards. But there's one big one, probably the most prestigious award in all of sports, and that's the Heisman Trophy. Um, so I'll let you go first, and then I'll give you my preseason pick for the Heisman. Uh, who is your preseason Heisman Trophy candidate? So I think you're going to see a reoccurring theme throughout kind of our discussion on college football. My Heisman winner is Sam Ellinger. I think no, he's going to have <laughs> – I kind of thought it might be. I, like, I just think he had such a great year last year statistically. He's only going to do it again this year as a senior. Um, they're going to go up against really bad defenses. So he's going to – I think they're going to go undefeated. I think they're going to go to the college football mm -hmm. playoffs. So um, I think he's going to be your Heisman winner. Well, this just got a whole lot less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I tried uh, to do an off-the-radar guy, and apparently we, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. I, Un I unfor also... unfortunately, unfortunately for Sam Ellinger, I picked Shea Patterson last year, so <laughs> hopefully you don't suffer the same fate as him. Uh, the, the, the only guy who was invited to the combine that wasn't signed by an NFL team <laughs> after the draft. Um, yeah, I, so – I'll pivot a little bit, but yeah, my preseason pick for um, Heisman is Sam Ellinger. He threw for 32 touchdowns last year, ran for seven, and like you said, he's not going to face a whole lot of good defenses. The best defense that he will face all year is probably Oklahoma's, and they're not anything special. Um, and I Iowa think, State. Or Iowa State's, yeah. And But I think Texas, from a skill point, it's going to just absolutely run it up on teams this year. And this is finally... Mm -hmm. 
um, the offense that they've been waiting for for the first couple of years. Um, why am I blanking on their coach's name? Tom Herman. Tom Herman, yeah. Um, this is finally that Ohio State type offense with a dual threat quarterback who can really sling it. And I think even last year in a game that he played against LSU, um, where they lost the game, but it was their best opponent that they faced all year, he showed what kind of quarterback that he is because he went toe for toe, toe to toe with Joe Burrow for that entire game. Um, and, I, and I'm really high on him this year, but I'll give you a second one since we were on the same page. And this team is also in my college football playoffs. You can call me a homer, do whatever. <laughs> it's Kyle Trask. And Kyle Trask really came out of literally nowhere last year. He hadn't started a game since his sophomore year of high school. And uh, following Felipe Franks' injury against Kentucky, he looked like an NFL quarterback almost, you know, immediately, two weeks into him being the starter. And I think – Anytime you're in a Dan Mullen offense that's very quarterback friendly, where he's going to coach your quarterbacks, well, Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott, Alex Smith, you think of all the the quarterbacks that he's coached and made better. I really like Kyle Trask in our offense, and he has a little bit of a dual threat ability as well. And I think that Florida is going to be really, really strong this year, and especially strong on offense. If I had to pick a second guy, it would be Kyle Trask, but I just didn't really want to jinx him. <laughs> so I went with him all over. Um, uh, I cannot let me make the same guy. That's yeah, that's 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 pretty funny. Let me make one more point about Sam Ellinger real quick. Uh, their their new offensive play caller is Mike Yursich, uh, who was the passing game coordinator for Ohio State the last couple of years. Um, it did a lot of really good work with Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins. So um, mm. it, I I really like that fit, and that sounds like Herman is giving up the play calling role. Um, so I, I think they could, that offense could be even better than it was last year. Nice. Um, well, let's finish up our college football stuff by giving our four teams that we have to be in the college football playoffs. So I'm going to guess we both have Texas. <laughs> that would be correct. <laughs> um, I'll do mine. So I have Texas um, actually coming in as the, the three um, I have Clemson coming in as the two. I have Ohio State coming in as the four. And guess who I have coming in at number one? Alabama. You're incorrect, sir. It would be Homer. the Florida Gators. Uh, from the amount of talent that they returned on defense to the shaky quarterback situation that uh, Georgia is in, I think the door has been kicked wide open. Uh, for Dan Mullen to run through it after two consecutive New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl wins and a returning starting quarterback and the plethora of offensive weapons from Rick Wells to Jacob Copeland, um, Darius Toney, uh, Trevon Grimes, former Ohio State Buckeye, and future first-rounder Kyle Pitts at tight end. I think this offense is going to be really good. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to go uh, – 10 and one and win the SEC championship. And I think they're going to end up being the number one ranked team uh, based off their strength of schedule. So Brandon, I will let you tell me your fortune. Well, it's not too exciting. Um, <laughs> I think Clemson is number one. I just think they're going to go undefeated benefit of the doubt. Not a very tough schedule. Uh, they have Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. 
it's an easy number one for me. I think with the news today, I would put Ohio State as number two. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think the top talent in the Big Ten is there to compete with them. Um, mm-hmm. So I have them at two. I have University of Texas as my number three. And my mm-hmm. number four, I have Alabama. Mm, okay. So, uh, for what it's worth, since you mentioned that the top talent in the Big Ten you don't think is there to compete with Ohio State, I had an interesting nugget from our uh, counterpart, our colleague, Casey Foley, that today, actually, as he learned the news, you can't make this up if you're a Michigan Wolverine fan, today, as he learned the news of the Big Ten that they were going to announce that they were playing football this year. <laughs> the starting quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines last year, Dylan McCaffrey, decided to opt out of the season. <laughs> well, so there, there's some reporting that he was actually beat out for the starting job. And so he's opting out and transferring. Uh, so I think it was more so that he got beat out for the job. So this is a way to transfer without losing a year. Ah, okay. Well, Either way, I don't feel great about that Michigan offense still. Um, no, listen, this Michigan team I don't think is going to be great, but I think they're they're a year or two away from being really, really good. Hmm. Uh, I figured I wanted to share that nugget right on the backs of you saying <laughs> there's not a lot of competition because how many – I think Ohio State's beaten Michigan seven years in a it's, – it's, it's a lot. Every year that, that Urban Meyer was there – because Jim Harbaugh has never beaten uh, Ohio State, uh, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, it's like seven or eight years in a row, and this is going to be another year that they lose to Ohio State. Uh, yeah, they, I, uh, I, they have a, it, it, They actually haven't won since 2011. Whew. Ah. Uh, wow, that's that's tough. Um, when you think about the fact that every year that's basically their ticket into the Big Ten championship, like for most years, that's tough. <laughs> that's yeah. really, really tough. Um, I also hope I didn't jinx Florida by praising Dan Mullen too much or all of our players opt out tonight or sit Okay, I'm season. sorry. This is crazy. Uh, they <laughs> Since 2000, which they oh. play every every year, Michigan has beaten Ohio State how many times do you think since 2000? Three. Exactly three. Whoa! Hey! They are that's... three in, in what, 16, 17 against Michigan that's... since 2000. That's bad. That's, that's awful. That's really bad. And some of those were be... like, some of those Michigan, like one year in Ann Arbor, Michigan was ranked 11th. Ohio State was unranked, and Ohio State beat them. <laughs> Another one where Ohio State was unranked, Michigan was ranked 7th. Uh, the classic one-versus-two game. I mean, yeah. there's been some where, like, Michigan definitely should have won. Like the the fourth and inches one with uh, – Yeah. Uh, Jenkins, Barrett. Uh, is Barrett. Yeah, JT Barrett. Barrett. Yeah. Um, the fourth and inches was bad. Um, well, even last year, I, Michigan, or two years ago, Michigan was ranked fourth and gave up 62. Yeah, on just wide open plays the whole game. Um, 
Well, it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited to watch SEC football next weekend. Um, and I hope we both just jinx Texas with all the hype we put on them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, I cannot overestimate how much I didn't expect you to also have Texas in the playoffs and <laughs> have Sam Ellinger as your Heisman pick. Uh, it really killed this segment, but I thought I was uh, being creative, but clearly not. <laughs> Apparently, when you have two white guys that went to the same college, similar background, there's some group take. Thank you for listening to another episode of Press Coverage. This is your host, Cameron Clark, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter, all under the handle of Press Coverage. Thank you so much, everybody. Stay safe.